Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Curious Kid Podcast. My name is Colapo, and I'm your host. I want to say thank you to everyone that is listening to the show across the world. And this is the 28th episode of the show, and I'm very excited. And um, if you're joining us for the first time, Curious Kid Podcast is a show where I meet with amazing startup founders and ecosystem enablers working to make entrepreneurship thrive in Africa. And today, we are happy to have Abake Adele on the show. She's the founder of Ajala Studios, a company that builds enterprise speech technologies for low-resource languages uh, with a focus on African languages. And this is just uh, very interesting for me because I remember in like 2012 or so, I was on a quest to build a, a speech synthesis, I mean, for, for English language with African accent. And that actually led me to build uh, Talking Books, which is an audiobook uh, company. And uh, we had to pivot because, of course, uh, most of the voices available then were very robotic. And it was hard to find a team that can build such products. Uh, so when I when I read about Abake, I mean, I was just uh, very excited to learn about what she's building, what she's built so far. And it's just very exciting uh to have you on the show and back here so thank you for joining us on curious k podcast uh thank you so much for the introduction and thank you for having me on the show all right so how are you doing today how is it going yeah i'm pretty good thank you and how are you yeah good uh it's a cloudy day in lagos uh, but we, we're enjoying the weather nice very nice all right yes yeah, so can you give us a peek into your background yeah sure um i guess my background is uh, a little complicated but maybe that's not unusual for many nigerians <laughs> um i was actually not born in nigeria i was born in america but i lived in nigeria until i was about six and then my parents moved the family back to the States. Uh, but when I was 11, my parents sent me to boarding school in Nigeria for about four, a little bit over four years. Then I moved back to the States. Um, and then I'm ultimately moved to England, where I finished my academic career, I guess you could say. Uh, and I started working in finance. I worked in finance uh, for about eight years uh, before founding Ajala. Um, and all of that kind of sounds very tidy, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's not necessarily the most straightforward path. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. So can you remember, I mean, the boarding school experience? Because I know Nigerian parents will always want you to feel the Nigerian culture, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, the boarding school experience, I think, so and I won't like name the first school that I went to for a term just so I don't like shame schools or anything. But my parents sent us to a school in Lagos in the first term. And I think it was a little bit too much culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we only stayed there for one term. Um, but then uh, we moved to um, a school. Uh, at the time, it was in Ikeja. It's actually owned by my, my aunt. Nike Adamalekum. We moved to Supreme Education Foundation. Uh, I was there for about two terms, and that was like in Ikeja. It was much more like, um, yeah, it was much more comfortable and, and all of that. Uh, but then my parents actually founded a school in Ibadan, and I was there for about 
little bit over three years before I moved back to the States. Nice, nice. And um, I mean, interesting story. I mean, you have there, uh, you were able to, I mean, to get to a, a level of education where you actually have PhD in engineering, right? Yeah. And um, so what, what made you uh, wanted to attain such level of education? What was it? Yeah, I think so. My, on both sides of my, my family, my mother and my father's side, there are a lot of academics, and my father also had a PhD. So I think uh, when I was a child, you know, you want to be like your parent. And in my mind, like having a PhD kind of always sounded cool. Um, but then I, I finished my undergrad or I was approaching finishing my undergraduate degree. And I actually didn't feel like I knew enough. And it felt like the natural next step would be to pursue a PhD. And I was lucky enough to get admission into a PhD program from after completing my undergraduate degree. And so that's kind of uh, the the journey. I don't necessarily think that I wanted to be an academic. I never had any interest in teaching or being a professor. Um, but I've always enjoyed learning and kind of absorbing information and, and thinking about things. Yeah, and I think the influence too, I mean, you can you can't take that out of the picture. Uh, based on your background, really. Yeah. So at a point, you you built a language learning application in Yoruba, right? Yeah. Speak Yoruba. Yeah. So what what influenced, I think I read briefly that maybe one of your niece or nephew, can you just share that story with us? Yeah. Yeah. So this was while I was still working at Morgan Stanley and I just randomly decided to build a mobile app, which... Um, I saw my niece and nephew, I think at the time they were probably like maybe three or four years old and they were playing with, um, an English language learning app. Um, cause I, I, I would download a lot of apps on my phone and I would let them play with my phone. Um, and they would always go back to this app, um, that would like flashcards, one flashcard for each letter in the language presumably to help a child kind of like build their vocabulary. And I thought, you know, this would be cool to have for other languages. And so I uh, contacted uh, an illustrator, uh, Andrew Kolb, uh, whose style I really liked. And um, he came up with the, with the, the style of the, the characters in the app, which actually ended up gaining a lot of interest online. Um, but I did all of the coding and the app ended up doing, you know, pretty well for, for, for what it was because I didn't really promote it. But um, it got a lot of attention on Twitter and it was a paid app. I actually made um, uh, a little trailer for the app. <laughs> um, I also worked in studio. Uh, I, I wrote a treatment and uh, the, I uh, licensed um, some music from um, a high life musician called Baba Ken Okulolo. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> and he basically um, made a recording of a traditional Nigerian folk song um, uh, called Laba Laba. And uh, that's, that's Butterfly, right? Yeah, exactly. Butterfly. I, I thought that it would make a nice soundtrack to the trailer. So I, you know, I wrote this treatment kind of inspired by the song and inspired by the flashcards and all of that. And the trailer ended up 
doing quite well online as well. I think maybe it got like 30,000 views or something like that. At the time, you know, it was substantial. Um, and yeah, the, the app did well, but I, you know, I was working as a banker and it wasn't like something that um, I viewed as like, you know, a career move or, or something substantial. So I kind of put it to the side. Um, but I often got requests to build apps in other languages. And yeah, it, it was just something that was kind of like in the back of my mind, but I, I didn't necessarily engage with it in a substantial way after publishing the app. Nice. But I think, I think that's where the whole entrepreneurial pursuit started. And um, I would just like to understand, all right, you have, you have a PhD in engineering mm -hmm. and you mentioned you worked with Morgan Stanley, which is kind of like finance. So mm -hmm. how did that, how was that like? I mean, engineering background, working <laughs> in finance role, can you just uh, demystify that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it was actually quite, um, uh, to, to use your term, uh, mystified. It was quite mystical um, when I started because I... I went straight from undergrad to, to PhD and I, I never really had like a proper internship. So I, be, before I started, so I didn't even know, you know, I just had, I guess, technical knowledge that, that they thought would be useful, but I didn't really know until I started the work. But basically my role um, was as an equity derivative strategist. And that means <laughs> that I was coming up with trading strategies for institutional investors. And an institutional investor is basically an institution that holds a large amount of capital. It could be a hedge fund. It could be like a corporate, like the treasury of a large company. It could be a pension fund, insurance company, sovereign wealth fund. But all of these institutions that hold large amounts of capital often have to invest that capital to achieve specific aims. And my role was to come up with ways that they could achieve these aims using derivatives. Oh, that sounds, sounds really interesting and, and complex. <laughs> it, it was very interesting. I think it was um, actually a, a really great way to gain introduction to um, finance because uh, I was basically like what you would call a quant, but there are lots of different types of quants. And I think what was interesting, and this was all quite serendipitous because it wasn't like planned on my part, but this role allowed me to be the type of quant where I wasn't necessarily stuck in a corner just writing models, um, uh, developing models. I um, would come up with models, but they had to have um, a practical utility. They had to be able to deliver value to the bank in some way. And even beyond that, I would often go um, uh, on meetings, uh, go go on meetings with, uh, with sales from the bank to actually deliver these strategies or pitch these strategies to these institutions. And so I had to develop um, communication skills that I definitely didn't need uh, to use or, or, or cultivate uh, in my in my grad program, but learning how to explain things that are complex to people who aren't necessarily complex, but in a way that um, conveys the information succinctly and clearly. Uh, so I think it was, it was, yeah, it was a great way to, to enter to finance. Absolutely. Yeah. So at what point did you switch to entrepreneurship full time? Think, okay, this is a time for me to do my own thing or 
focus on this application or whatever you were doing at that point? At what point did you realize and what made you make that decision? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say that it wasn't like a sharp switch. Uh, I always, I kind of phased in, phased out. <laughs> Um, So I'd spent about eight years at Morgan Stanley, and I was definitely itching for a change, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had a few opportunities within finance, but I kind of wanted to do something different. And while I'd been pursuing my PhD, um, uh, through my advisor, my, my supervisor, my PhD supervisor, I got the opportunity to consult for a startup Uh, and I maintained a relationship with the CEO of the startup and at the time I was chatting with him, you know, I I wanted to start a company but I I had some ideas and I didn't know what Um, and I also knew that I didn't necessarily want to go the VC route, I didn't want to raise large amounts of capital, I wanted to build I mean, maybe some VCs would call it a lifestyle business. I don't think it's a lifestyle business. I wanted to be in control of the growth trajectory of the business to as great a degree as I possibly could. I didn't want to kind of start a business where my aim would be like growth, 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 growth. I wanted to start a business where I could build something meaningful. And we were having this discussion and he mentioned to me Innovate UK. And uh, he was like, you know, these grants, they're super competitive, but you know, you have a good background. I think you should apply. And um, at this point I was like, okay, why not? Uh, I put together an application, I think in like June of 2016 and uh, a couple months later I found out that I got the the grant which was quite surprising. The grant funded me for a little bit over a year to the opportunity to explore voice recognition and speech synthesis for two African languages and I basically spent those 13 months building out prototype voice recognition and speech synthesis models for Yoruba and Swahili. Uh, But I also, I think like halfway through, uh, I started doing consulting work as well in finance. Uh, So I kind of had a parallel business, I guess you could say. Um, And uh, it's actually still something that I continue to do because I I enjoy finance and um, I, I like to have my hands in like a number of different pots. Um, and the, we reached the end of the, um, the grant period and, uh, I wanted to know, you know, what to do next, but even I should, I should actually go back. So uh, once I was awarded the grant, I was like, okay, so to whatever degree, this idea isn't crazy. (laughs) Um, so let's see if this can be something more. Yeah, so let's go into your work at Agela Studios. Okay. I remember you mentioned speech recognition, voice synthesis. So can you just tell us about that? Yeah, so at Agela, we make um, what we call tools that help enterprises build voice automation experiences in African languages. And our initial core focus is on voice recognition and speech synthesis. In terms of voice recognition, I always like to make the analogy with like Siri or Alexa. So like when you talk to your device, voice recognition is the 
bit of the process that allows Siri to kind of understand what you're saying that converts your spoken speech into digital text. So we've built models that can achieve that, but for various African languages. And speech synthesis is uh, the model that allows Siri to, to say something back to you. So it's a model that can generate human speech from digital text. We have kind of other areas that we're looking at as well um, in the sort of natural language processing space and um, the speech technology space, but our, our two core focuses are voice recognition and speech synthesis. All right, yeah, th thanks, thanks for talking about that. So how was it like building your team and, um, and raising funds? And um, if you can just tell us about maybe the applications of, of the speech recognition that you're building. Yeah, I mean, building the team was was very challenging. I'd say it's still very challenging. Um, uh, I was lucky enough to get a second round of funding that was much larger from Innovate UK. And I guess you could say that was like our seed or pre-seed round. And that allowed me to hire about three people uh, full time to join the team. But the process was was challenging um, because you have to, when you have a small company, you're trying to build a culture, you're trying to find people who resonate with what you're building and you're also trying to make sure that they're fulfilled in their, their career. Uh, sometimes you're lucky and you hire someone who's like great and sometimes it's uh, it takes just a little bit more effort to kind of um, to, to get to that point where you're, you're achieving um, something that's mutually beneficial. I would say ultimately people that I've hired have come from, um, actually the one person was just serendipity. She, she approached the company and um, initially to participate in a small project and ultimately she's um, uh, grown into a much bigger role. And um, another person was through um, uh, personal recommendation from from someone I know, so I, I would say it's there's no formula, but I can say that it's for me it's definitely been challenging, and and from what I hear from other friends who are running startups, like uh, hiring can be it can be tricky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, in 2016, you you were nominated for Innovation Prize for Africa. So yeah, can, can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. So this was, I think I mentioned earlier that I uh, didn't want to pursue VC funding. Uh, and so I was looking at lots of different grants. And one of the grant opportunities that seemed interesting was the Innovation Prize for Africa. And I applied for that and I ended up being selected as a finalist, um, which was great. Um it um, was an interesting experience. Um, we were all flown to Ghana and there was a week uh, of events, although I was only able to participate in, in a few days. But um, it gave us the opportunity. We, we met the president of Ghana um, and we got to, to, to network, I guess you could say. But um, 
it was yeah it was it was a very interesting experience and um i think it also speaks to the importance um that grant funding or non-equity funding plays in the tech space in africa uh now that um payment startups have just kind of taken off vc has become uh, much more accessible to African startups, but there was a point where maybe three, four years ago where um, grant funding was still kind of, you know, uh, the starting point for a lot of startups. And I think that grants still play a significant role, um, especially for startups that are maybe not necessarily in spaces where VCs necessarily um, uh, understand within the African ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I mean, you're right. And um, what I can just uh, pick from what you've said so far is, I mean, you you were very clear from day one. You wanted to build something and you wanted to take your time, right? Uh, yeah. Because pressure, a lot of pressure comes with VC money, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the reality is like with speech technologies, there's product market fit in Europe in the US and China, but product market fit hasn't been established in Africa. I think we're probably one of the only, if not the only startup that is focused specifically on uh, building speech technologies for the African market. And I've spoken with uh, entrepreneurs in the UK um, who have made attempts um, maybe 10, 15 years ago in the very, very early days of speech technologies. Um, even in, in the West. And they, I, I mean, their situation was probably a little bit unique because perhaps they didn't have local knowledge. But I, I think that I could tell that this was a proposition that would need potentially a long lead time. And VC funding is not the kind of funding that makes sense. <laughs> in that context. So, and also, I didn't want to kind of, I didn't want to... I didn't. I don't necessarily like the ethos um, that v taking VC funding kind of imposes on a startup. I mean, obviously, it depends on the type of VC, but there's generally a type of approach to building your business that you kind of have to take, uh, and that isn't necessarily what I wanted or want. So. Yeah, cool. I think it's just uh, important for for startup founders to be clear. I mean, I mean, in terms of what they want to build and how they want to, you know. Uh, assess smart money, a smart investment, you know, yeah. without pressure uh, yeah. to build something that is sustainable, you know. And I think you've been able to, 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 to find that. And um, congratulations on recently winning uh, Women in Voice DEI DEI Award. And um, so, what, what what was that process like? I mean, we'd like to to learn from you. Yeah, that that was a complete surprise. <laughs> I, I had no idea I would be nominated. And when I found out I was nominated, I was shocked enough. I just assumed, okay, that's nice. And then next thing I see that I've won and I'm like, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah. it, was, it was all, all very surprising. Um, the, the, the women who run the organization, they're very excellent at what they do. They're, aim is to promote the role of women in speech technologies. Um, but what they do is not just for women. They're trying to create a big tent to attract uh, as many people as possible to this cause of, you know, championing and raising the profile of women who are 
doing things in in this space and you know i i'm very grateful to them for you know the the accolade and and did you think um being a woman has given you more opportunities um to access some of these grant uh, opportunities in building your businesses so far um i'm i i would say as with all things in life there there are trade-offs so obviously over the last maybe 2 or 3 years there's been increasing interest in promoting the role of women in technology but i think that behind that we have centuries of bias against women in not just in technology but you know in the workplace so i think being a woman offers certain advantages but at the same token there there are you know certain um downsides as well or there's certain challenges that you face and i think it's just a question of each person trying to navigate the trade-offs between those opportunities and those challenges as well as you know luck to 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 the best that you can all right yeah i mean i mean you said centuries there's been bias i mean against women you know not just in technology and that's that's right and this is this will also take a long time i mean to i mean to overcome such you know bias and uh but i think uh, generally there is there is a lot of call for support for for women a lot of women startup founders and there was a research as well that maybe uh less than a certain percentage uh get to women led startups when it comes to vc investment for example and um i hopefully believe that will that will change and that will keep improving uh with time All right. So you are also an American Association uh part of the American Association of the Advancement of Science Fleshner Fellow. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um so I uh was a Fleshner Fellow for the year 2020-2021 uh focusing on artificial intelligence and in my role as a fellow, um I my my aim is to promote public discourse around the role and the potential impact of artificial intelligence in Africa. And one of the things that I did to kind of promote this discourse was organize a series of webinars on AI and African enterprises, just kind of examining um the impact ai is having and could have on african enterprises from lots of different perspectives bringing in lots of thought leaders and experts to contribute to this discussion and kind of rooting everything from an african perspective so bringing in african experts focusing on african topics kind of enshrining everything in africa as as it were yeah and how is uh, what 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 has been the experience uh, what do you think or what can you say about ai adoption in africa i mean what can you say has been uh, some of the key things that you think uh, you've picked up and you like to share in this podcast about some of those sessions that you you've you've hosted yeah i i think the the most popular session that we hosted was on security and data privacy because it has a it's getting a lot of attention in the media 
um, but it's getting a lot of attention in the media from a Western perspective, but it also um, plays a significant role on businesses as well as consumers. And there was a lot of interest um, from people who were trying to get an understanding of the evolving regulatory landscape. Because um, countries like Nigeria, for example, with NITDA uh, recently released the NDPR, this, I guess the Nigerian uh, analog to GDPR, and countries like Kenya and Ghana as well, um, doing the same and businesses are trying to understand the potential impact that could have on on their interaction with their customers and especially from a Nigerian perspective I think there's often a lot of skepticism and reluctance uh, when people are looking at their interactions with um, businesses or government and their questions from a consumer perspective around uh, how data is being protected and preserved. We still have a whole lot of work to do uh, in Nigeria when it comes to data privacy. And I think startups can lead the way uh, in making sure, uh, and we can even lead the way and show the government the way to, to do the right things when it comes to having these kind of conversations. So let's go back to Ajala. So where do you see your company, I mean, in the next five to 10 years? In the next five to 10 years, uh, I would hope that we would be active in at least 10 countries in Africa, uh, offering a suite of products um, covering at least 30 African languages <laughs> um, that are uh, facilitating voice automation and helping African businesses interact with their customers um, in a meaningful way. So I, I think that the, the the ultimate sort of end game, I guess you could, if you could think of it that way, is that we want to be the customer that are the the startup that defines how voice can deliver meaningful value to both businesses, African businesses, and African consumers. And I would like to have achieved that goal in the next five to ten years. Amazing! Uh, looking forward to that. Uh... Uh, at that point, I mean, it will still be great to have you on Curiosity Podcast <laughs> when <laughs> yeah, all this so. has been done. All right. So is there anything you'd like to share with us as we, as we round up? No, I, I, I just think that the work you're doing with the podcast is really great. You're, you're opening up these conversations um, in, in like a very deliberate way. And you're giving entrepreneurs and, and participants in the African ecosystem an opportunity to, to kind of share their perspectives, which is great. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Abake, for being on the show. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to this episode of Curious K Podcast. And uh, see you next time. Bye-bye.